This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akitanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveller, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, my peers, and welcome to another episode of the Peers Project podcast. Today's guest is an inspiring millennial entrepreneur who has definitely lived an incredibly unique life to date. From growing up in Orange County in California, where almost everyone is an entrepreneur, to attending three different universities in three different countries over four years. Our guest this week has been exposed to many different environments in her lifetime to date, and I couldn't be more excited to share with you all her story. So who is this brilliant young entrepreneur I'm talking about? Well, her name is Natasha Takahashi. Natasha is the co-founder of Leading Chatbot Educator, the School of Bots, and I couldn't be more grateful to have had her come on the show and share all of her wisdom with us. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Natasha Takahashi. Natasha, welcome to The Peers Project. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. I'm so excited for our conversation today. Great. You know, so I was introduced to you by way of Lucy Bloomfield, who recently came on the podcast. And when I looked into you and all the work you're doing, I was super interested and I knew I had to interview you. So I really appreciate you making the time. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited to talk about everything, um, especially because what I'm working on is just so new. Um, And of course, I always love being on podcasts and sharing whatever knowledge I can with your audience. So very excited for this. And I appreciate you for taking the time to bring me on. Of course. Great. So before we dive into you and your work, I want to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? Sure. So I grew up in Orange County, um, which is in Southern California. There is a TV show about where I grew up um, called The Housewives of Orange County. And there is a lot going on in terms of business. Um, I'd say a lot of old money, really. And so I'm a first generation American or, you know, whatever the phrase is these days. So my dad is from Japan and my mom is from Mexico. And they met in Southern California um, in the city I grew up in called Irvine. So I didn't really have too much of like an American upbringing just because I had the two cultures and, you know, they had their own customs and traditions and food and all of that, you know, very different, I'd say, from growing up in like a quote unquote white household, right, Um, which is what a lot of my friends were. So that was really interesting for me because unlike 
potentially growing up in an area where everyone is an immigrant of, say, like lower middle class. I really grew up in an area where everyone had a lot of money and was very successful business wise, whether it was moms on like, you know, social media, right, which is pretty common these days, I feel like, or, you know, dads that owned gas stations and financial companies and all these different areas. Um, And so really early on, I saw the potential of like entrepreneurship in general and just seeing like what was possible, you know, the lifestyles these people had, the amount of money that they were making. And so that was never out of reach seemingly to me, right? I never had the perspective of, oh, how could someone make a hundred grand a year? How could someone make a million dollars, a billion dollars? For me, I always had the perspective that it was all very possible and always kind of kept that almost naive feeling right towards like, I can pretty much do anything. I just have to figure out how to do it. And so um, for me, that was very impactful because as I grew up, I didn't really think about entrepreneurship until high school. And my dad had passed away when I was seven. So I had gone through all these like ebbs and flows, you know, in terms of like what I was passionate about and was originally passionate about music and wanted to get signed and do that whole thing. Um, But then my mom was like, oh, that's not possible. And nowadays it's like super possible, right? You could like start a YouTube channel and be like a viral success. But back then in the early 2000s, that was not a thing. So um, unfortunately, I missed out on that. But nonetheless, got this whole entrepreneurial story started really where um, I got really interested in business plan competitions and then went kind of the like traditional route of, okay, I might want to be like a consultant or something like that. Um, But instead then started finding out about Tim Ferriss, the four hour work week, um, which I'm sure a lot of millennials have heard about, right. And this whole like lifestyle entrepreneur online thing. And so that is pretty much what led me to then starting my businesses. And there's a lot more obviously to that, but overall, that was what was most impactful for me from growing up Mm. in the area that I did. Wow. Okay. So much to take away from that. I love this. Okay. So I think we might backtrack, (laughs) yeah, backtrack a little bit into, I just find it fascinating how the environment that you were in, as you were saying, it really just that potential of entrepreneurship, the potential of creating something more for yourself was really kind of evident. So I guess my question to you was what what did you do? Were your parents part of this community? Were they also, you know, quite well off? And, you know, or was it really just you were surrounded by all these people who were and you thought, I want to be like them? Yeah, it was definitely the latter. Um, my mom still now makes only about $2,000 a month. Um, and so that's what, like 22000 Okay, I can't do math. So never mind. But, um, <laughs> but essentially, you know, she has a very low income. And so the reason that we were able to really succeed was because my dad was entrepreneurial. So he came over from Japan as a sushi chef. He was supposed to be a doctor, but he turned that down because um, the sushi chef gig was like the fastest way to get your visa and like get into America pretty much. So that's why he ended up pursuing that. And, you know, he ended up opening a few of his restaurants before he passed away. So even though I didn't have too much of an influence of entrepreneurship from him, I just knew that that was, that had been like a part of my childhood, seeing him grow that business. So they, however, were not like, you know, once my dad passed away, we didn't have a whole lot um, from there other than luckily they had somehow paid off the house. So that was good um, that we had that. But other than that, it was really just being surrounded by all of my friends' parents who had just insane 
either like big companies or um, just had a really great career that paid, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, right, that they were able to live very comfortably. So it was definitely seeing what everyone else had around me as opposed to what I personally had at Mm. home. Mm. Super interesting. So did you ever think, see, that your friends also had this same ambition to go out there and do something different to to build companies? Did you, did you ever see that or was it mainly, did you feel like you were the old one out in that way? Honestly, I did feel like I was the odd one out for a little bit. Well, when I started my entrepreneur career, I already had a few friends who were, you know, digital nomads and doing the whole online um, entrepreneur thing. So that was helpful, but it was few. And for sure, I'll say that in general, my friend group has always been older than me. I've always been like the youngest and you know, like least experienced one in the room, which is good. Um, but it also really made it difficult for me to say, okay, who can actually connect with that as my age who is doing similar things. And so over the last year, I'd say I've really been able to connect with people who are in their early twenties and even teens who are just doing amazing things with business. And so that has been really inspirational for me. Um, and also has caused this sort of like use stress to happen where it's like a friendly competition to where I've always wanted to have like a group of friends, right? Where like everyone's doing such great things that you can collaborate at any time. You are kind of like, oh, I did this thing this month. It's like, oh, well, I did this thing. And then it's like a friendly competition, not trying to bring each other down, but really like encouraging each other to do bigger and better. So that's been really special. Um, that's been around just this past year. But other than that, yeah, it was always older friends or you know, not really a lot of people who were like, oh, I want to start my own company. When I, the city that I grew up in, everyone's like, what college am I going to? And most of the time that was, is it going to be an Ivy League or one of these great schools in California? You know, it was definitely more of that as opposed to like, oh, what do I want to start or what do I want to build? And a lot of these people as well were going to probably inherit their parents' companies anyways. So it wasn't a whole lot of like, oh, I need to worry about what I'm going to do, you know? So it was kind of like half lazy people who like knew they'd be fine, you know? And then the other half was like, I'd say more almost stereotypically, right? Like the Asians and, um, a lot of the American people who were like, I need to go to a good college so I can have a good career, et cetera, et cetera. Fascinating. Okay. So let's speak on that idea of college. So obviously I saw that you went to USA, um, And I found what was super interesting about this is the program you were on. So correct me if I'm wrong, it was that you attend three universities in I think four years. How how does that work? Talk to us a bit about this program, how you got involved. Yeah, for sure. You did good research. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So the program I was in, if any of you guys are interested who are listening, it's called the World Bachelor in Business Program. And I think the URL is wbb.usc.edu. And pretty much how the program works is you're accepted to one of these three universities that are partnering with the program. It's the University of Southern California, which is in California, um, the Hong Kong University of Science and Technology, and then the business school in Italy called Bocconi University. So the three schools pretty much partnered to say, we want to create this like global, you know, program where students can experience languages and different cultures and business in all of these environments, um, and then be able to get a business degree from each school so they can have access to the alumni networks and, you know, the area and whatnot. So it was a great program when I looked at it, because at that time I was in the phase of like, oh, I want to travel and do the like a digital entrepreneur thing, right? And be a digital nomad, right? 
it. And I was like, this is perfect because in my mind, I was still probably going to complete college, um, even though I wanted to do my own thing at that point. So I enrolled in the program um, or rather applied and got in and whatnot. Um, But I think what I've realized is that traveling abroad, like a semester or something, I think is a much better experience than moving around so much. At least that's what I've heard from the alumni of this program. The program has only been around for like five years. So I think I was the third or fourth year that it had been around um, in terms of enrollment. So it's super new. Um, But what I've heard is that it does get a bit difficult to keep moving around and, you know, you are losing friends each time you move. Right. Um, And it's difficult to kind of get involved with one student body and have that like college experience. Um, but on the other hand, if you want to have that lifestyle and be able to do that while you're studying, then I think it's an amazing option. It just didn't end up working out for me. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about your experience with it. I find it fascinating. So, you know, obviously you start off at USC in the first year. So, I mean, did you know straight away that mm, this isn't for me? Like I, sh- I need to go off and do my own thing. Like when did you, what was that experience like for you? And when did you know? Yeah, for me, it was, so I was working with a startup at the time, um, remotely and doing sales and marketing for them. It's called startup grind. Actually, they do have a couple chapters in Australia, um, where they do like, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. I was actually, are you in Melbourne actually? Side note. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was in Melbourne for two months from February to March. So I kind of got to know the area and met a lot of great people and actually have a lot of clients there now. It's so funny. I've actually probably like more of my clients are from Australia than anywhere else. Wow. Well, this is perfect. Come on. Um, So I love you guys. Um, But yeah. So anyways, go back to your question. That first semester I was working with startup grind, like I said, and I knew that I wanted to do my own thing. I just didn't know what it was going to be. I had already been doing like digital marketing services for the startups that I worked with before Startup Grind, as well as for Startup Grind. So I'd been doing it for a couple of years and I had a couple of clients that I had worked with. And so I was like, okay, you know what? I can start an agency and travel or start an agency while I'm working at university. But I really had no idea how I was going to do it. I just knew that I was really confident that I was going to figure it out some way. And so the first semester I was like, okay, you know, university is okay. I had been, you know, kind of partying and doing that whole thing in high school. So when I got to college, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like everyone's getting black out, like (laughs) drunk every night. Um, (laughs) Like this is not the environment I want to be in to like build my company. Um, Right. And like just all those things where I just felt I don't even know, just almost like I was in the totally wrong spot. Right. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to wait it out for one more semester and see if I can deal with like all the schoolwork. Cause then at the same time I was battling the whole, like "Eh, all the classes I'm taking are kind of irrelevant to what I want to do. Like, why should I be taking economics? Um, and so in the spring semester, the second semester, my freshman year, I stopped going all my classes cause I was taking like astronomy (laughs) economics and like a few other things. So I was like, okay, this is stupid. Like, like not for me. Um, not that those subjects are stupid, but nonetheless, like I just was not having it. And I just thought all the work was just so time consuming for nothing. Right. Like I was spending so much time on astronomy homework. Um, and so I stopped going to my classes and decided, okay, I'm actually going to 
drop out. Um, I made the decision before like telling anyone or really discussing it with anyone. I just knew that it was the right thing for me. And I'd gone back and forth, you know, the whole beginning of the semester, like, am I going to do it? Am I not going to do it? Right. Cause it was a big commitment because if I dropped out of the program, then I wouldn't be able to like be a part of my graduating class. Right. If I decided to continue with college, I would have to, I could stay with the program, but I'd have to do more time at USC um, and then go on to Hong Kong and Italy and whatnot. So I was like, okay, don't really want to hang out with more like young people, right. Who are just, again, going to do the whole cycle over again (laughs) of um, partying all the time and not really caring. And so yeah, I decided to to leave. I actually published my um, letter that I wrote to my parents about dropping out wow. on Medium and Facebook. Wow. And yeah, a lot of people were really interested. By it. It's so funny now. Every time I see someone I previously knew or like am meeting for the first time that I've met online, they're like, I read your letter. <laughs> or like, what happened afterwards? They're like, <laughs> so it's super funny. I feel like every person that I personally know has read it. So it's freaking hilarious that somehow that happened. Um, um, and so, yeah, I, I did gave him that letter. Everything went well. I did like a leave of absence. So technically I still have access to student stuff. Um, but yeah, that was kind of how it unfolded. It was a really internal journey for me because at USC, I was like very closed off in terms of like getting involved with communities and stuff. Cause I was just not happy with like, you know, where my life was in terms of what I was spending my time on, which was all the schoolwork. And I wanted to be working on my companies. So I'd say I didn't get the college experience in terms of like being a part of clubs and like going to all these different events, right. And trying all these new things and stuff. But I think I have been able to do that now that I'm out of college and can pretty much do whatever I want with my time. So, so that's kind of how it unfolded. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned before, (laughs) just like digesting all of that. I love it. So you mentioned before that you knew that you wanted to, build your own business. You knew straight off the back, you're like, this is what I want to do. I'm going to give college a go. And you said that you didn't know how you're going to do it, but you knew you wanted to do it. Where does that, like, I guess, courage come from? And is it something that we can develop? Yeah. I think for me, that courage just came from always being confident, um, with myself and self-awareness. I think I had a unique upbringing in the sense that because I don't know, I mean, I've try to dive a lot into this because I do a lot of reflection. And so what I've kind of gathered is that I think because my dad passed away, I grew up so quickly um, in terms of maturity and like the people I was hanging out with. Right. And, you know, went through a couple like actual like relationships and boyfriends and stuff like that. Right. Kind of like did all these things that you're supposed to do when you're growing up. But I feel like I did a lot more of them than everyone around me. And so for some reason that really helped me become confident with me, like that I was comfortable with like myself, like, you know, my actual physical image, like my mind, I knew that I was smart, I was getting good grades. And so I think I did all these things to where I had like these boosts of confidence in activities that I did. I didn't have something I was terrible at. Um, and if I did, then I just didn't really continue doing it. So very early on, I think I realized, I think Tim Ferriss says this, and obviously a lot of other people say it, but he was like the first one that I really heard say it or 
read um, that you should totally focus on your strengths and then for your weaknesses, either outsource that or find someone else who can help you with that, but don't focus on it at all. And for me, I think that's what I became really good at was focusing on my strengths and actually doing things that helped me grow that or that used my skills that I had. So for me, yeah, that confidence just really came from continuing to do well in school. Like when I was growing up doing certain activities, like I always sang well, in my opinion. Right. And so that was supposed to be my career at the beginning. So I liked that. Um, I liked leading people. And so I think it's definitely something you can develop. And in order to do that, those boosts of confidence that I'm talking about, for an example, could be you start a business and you're struggling a lot and then you make $300. All of a sudden that boost gives you a little bit of relief and it also lets you know, okay, I can actually do this. Like it's something physical or like tangible that you can say, this is actually a sign of improvement and sign of success. And I know that I can do more than what I just accomplished. So having those boosts of confidence, whatever it is, whether it's like winning awards or getting scholarships or, you know, making more revenue for your business, getting a client, closing partnerships, doing podcasts, you know, um, all of those different things that can do can give you boosts of confidence, I think will eventually circle you out to really be happy with who you are. And that's the core of being successful in general, right? With your passions and your businesses. So I think that's really how it came about and what I've just collected um, over time doing like reflections at the end of the year each year. And I check in with myself each week. So just really being in tune with who I am, I think has also definitely helped. I love this. So many gems are just coming out right now. Um, and I think it's really important that idea of... And sorry, the, I'm giving so many long oh, answers, by the way. This is a way <laughs> I feel like I'm rambling, but then trying to like share <laughs> what I can. Okay, so I think, yeah, I just wanted to touch on and reiterate on that point of self-reflection. I think it's something that's, you yeah. know, very, um, I mean, it, it's clearly it worked very well for you. It's also, I also do quite a lot of that level of building your level of self-awareness so that you can actually look around and go, is you know, oh, it is what I'm doing, what I actually want to be doing. So I loved how you mentioned that. Okay. So another thing I want to bring up from your story was the fact that when you knew that you university wasn't right for you, you literally went ahead and just quit and did what was necessary, what was the next step to do. So many people hesitate. You know, so many people spend years in doing stuff that they hate, that they, don't, they know it's not going to be beneficial, but it's because everyone else does. It's because, you know, maybe they don't have the courage, the confidence. Talk to us a little bit about how you can develop a level of decisiveness and just go after what you want to do, what's necessary. I think it really has to do with everything around you. And, you know, at the same time, everyone always says, you know, don't let your external factors um, influence, you know, what you really want to do. But at the same time, they totally do. And something I did right before I went to college. So when I went into my senior year of high school, I literally got rid of like 90% of my friends, um, people I had been friends with for years, people who had been friends with for a few years. But all the people who either weren't working towards something positive or I was having issues with or, you know, were the type of people who would get mad if you don't hang out with them, right, because you're working on things or whatever it was, right? All of those different mindsets I totally got rid of. Um, and, of course, 
I think for some people that's kind of difficult to do. Like if you're still going to the same school as these people or whatever it is, you know, sometimes it can be a little bit awkward. So luckily for me, I was pretty much just cooped up in my room working. So I didn't have to worry too much about that. Um, but that was something that I did that was very cleansing for me. Um, and really allowed me to make decisions for myself as opposed to, I think the situation you're talking about where someone delays and delays. And so during that delay, after they make the decision to think about making the decision to do something, um, they go and ask all these people around them. And depending on who is around you, you know, the answers you could get back could be very valuable and they could also totally stop you from what you were about to do. Um, and I think for me, I let that happen before I did that whole cleansing process. Um, and then after that, I just really realized that I could make a lot of decisions on my own. And so that's why also when I decided to drop out, I didn't really talk about it with anybody else. I just kept reflecting with myself. Like I pretty much had a conversation with myself, you know, writing it down. Right. And so I realized, okay, this is exactly what I want to do and will get me to where I want to be. And I do have a backup. I can go back to school or whatever, go get a job if I need to. I was confident in my ability to do that. And so pretty much just weighed the pros and cons and then made the decision myself. So I think it's good to get feedback on like ideas and things like that, but if you can make decisions based on what matters to you and those pros and cons, then the faster you can do that, the less time you have to dwell about, mm, you know, maybe this, you know, maybe I'm safer doing what I'm currently doing, or maybe I'm safer making a different decision that's less risky, right? So like all those doubts um, that can come into your head, you don't have an option for that if you make that decision mm. quickly. Love it. And I completely agree. I think that there's a level of, as we were talking about before, being in tune with yourself, knowing, you know, making those decisions just with yourself first before you share it with anyone else. Really good takeaways. Okay. So I want to dive into your time post-university. So obviously, you know, you've made that decision. You've handed the letter over to your parents, which I'm totally going to have a look at after this. Um, you know, what came next, you know, talk to us a bit about the early challenges yeah. and, and how you knew what business you wanted to pursue. Yeah, yeah. So during my time at university, um, I was already working on a company, um, even though I hadn't like incorporated it. So I had an agency I was working on and chatbots, which are my main focus at the time at the moment, um, and became my focus at that time were something I had been working on. Um, and I can obviously explain what they are and talk a little bit more about that, um, in a sec, but that was what I decided to focus my business on. And I created that it started going well, right when I decided to drop out. And so I quit my job with startup grind and continued to pursue pursue the agency full time. So the reason for the agency was one, obviously cash flow. Um, and I figured that that was going to be a great way to have hands-on experience. Um, you know, you're dealing with a lot of clients and like actual results. So I think that was also what motivated me. Whereas I was thinking before, okay, should I do an e-commerce company or like yeah, I mean, there's so many different things you can do, right? And I just had no idea what to do. So an agency just seemed like the best first step. So after incorporating that right after I um, dropped out, I decided, okay, I'm still going to go travel because I still had my plane ticket to go to Hong Kong um, that fall. 
So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I decided to still go to Hong Kong um, in August that year. So I dropped out in, officially dropped out in March, um, but was still like living at the university and whatnot until May. So I went to Hong Kong in uh, August, sorry, and then started pretty much traveling for the wow. next year. I had planned to be on the road for like a couple years to do the whole digital nomad thing. Along the way, I realized that um, it wasn't the best lifestyle for me, especially with the new business. So now I'm in San Diego, fast forward to a little bit over a year. <laughs> so I've signed a year lease here and I'm here for a while. Um, but but yeah, I did the whole digital nomad thing for 12 months after dropping out. Wow. So I was mainly in Asia and Australia. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that was just that I get perspective. It was middle of last year um, yes. and then through to this year. Yes. Wow. So very recent. This is yes, awesome. Yes. Okay. So I always feel like travel just broadens your mind and, you know, you meet different people live complete, who live different lives on the other side yes. of the world for you, in your case, when <laughs> you came sure. to us and when you came to us, what was that like for you? And what were some of your biggest learnings throughout this, this journey? Yeah, for me, I realized what types of places I want to live in and what types of places I want to vacation in. Um, and it was also very eye-opening in terms of different lifestyles. You know, for example, in Thailand, you're driving around on dirt roads on motorcycles every day, like, <laughs> and there's no sidewalks. Um, and, you know, there's all sorts of different stuff. You can get everything you want for a dollar. You know, it's a very different lifestyle as opposed to Melbourne, for example, or California um, or Tokyo. So, so definitely understanding those lifestyles and seeing that was very eye-opening for me. Um, and also it was really introspective as well, because I think a lot of people look at travel as a way to like uncover more pieces of themselves. And I think that that statement almost contradicts itself because you think that you should go and find yourself when really like everything that you're looking for is inside, but sometimes you need different environments to bring that out. So for me, that definitely happened where in moments of frustration of living in shitty places or whatever it was, right, I lived in like 23 apartments over the 12 months. Wow. So wow. I learned a lot. <laughs> yeah. I learned a lot about what type of environment I need to work and to live in. Um, and definitely I was, so kind of give you an idea of what my travel looks like. I was traveling every month or two and moving to a different country. So I was moving quite often and pretty much starting over because I wasn't doing the whole like, you know, I'm vacationing for a week here. It was like, I'm going to live and work in this place, you know, for a certain amount of time. So then come all the questions of, you know, where do I live? Is there going to be good Wi-Fi? Where do I work out and exercise? What am I going to eat? Am I going to cook or go out? You know, where am I actually going to work and meet people and do fun things. So all of those like daily routine things totally get messed up. And on top of that, you're moving different time zones. So, I mean, there was so many different factors, um, that influenced me and that I realized what I want out of a lifestyle. And so it was really helpful, honestly, to uncover a lot of like, maybe what I had never known because I've only lived in like two or three places, 
um, up until that point in my life. I had only lived in Irvine where I grew up for 18 years. And then I lived in San Francisco for a little bit and Los Angeles, but all in California, you know, it's like all pretty similar at the end of the day. So going, you know, around the world and going all these different countries where, you know, you're in like a third world country, second world country, you know, all sorts of different levels of access to resources. That was very eye opening for me in terms of deciding, you know, what type of life I want. So for sure it was helpful um, and uncovered a lot, but what I realized along the way as well was that everyone else who I saw traveling beside me as like a digital nomad or a remote developer or blogger um, or even the locals was that people fall into this trap of consistently traveling just for the sake of traveling and never take the time to actually reflect and decide what type of lifestyle they want. So it was almost kind of sad for me, like the other side of the whole digital nomad thing to see some people who were only making $300 a month, right? Via their blogs or whatever job they had. Um, and then only being able to live in these like second and third world countries, even though they were from first world countries, they had kind of almost submitted to that lifestyle where it was almost like being in a nine to five, quite frankly, in like America or something, for example, right? Where people are like complaining about their lives or they can't do certain things, but they're not actively doing anything to stabilize themselves and be able to make more money. So it was really interesting to see that like flip side of, of the digital nomad lifestyle. Totally different from what I thought would happen, right? I thought it'd be all like rainbows and like cool travel pictures and stuff, right? So it was totally different from yeah. what I expected. No, I love this type of conversation. I think that it's fascinating to hear what actually happens. You know, I think so many of yeah. us, we jump onto our Instagrams or, you know, we see these bloggers and they've got oh, these absolutely. phenomenal photos, you know, five countries in five weeks or whatever it is, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, and you, yeah. you just think, you know, well, they've got it so much better than I do. That's the natural thought, you know, progression. But I find it fascinating absolutely. that, you know, there's, there's this whole other side to it. So I think, I've two main questions come out of what, this discussion. The first one was, how did you, so you yourself, I know you said that others were living off $300 a week, and, I mean, a month, sorry. But, yeah. you know, how did you yourself firstly get yourself into a position where you had clients and you could actually go out and do this? And then secondly, what was that lifestyle that you said you realized that you wanted? Yeah. So first question in terms of revenue, um, because I had already been working with a few clients and pretty much had proven to myself and my business partner, Kyle, um, that we were able to do this. We were doing, I think, probably like ten to $20,000 a month for our client contracts before we started traveling. So we had enough to where we we're like, okay, we'll be comfortable and like we can do this. And honestly, you, I think when you're traveling, at least for us, our monthly expenses were like a thousand dollars. So it was very small, um, compared to what you usually pay when you live in a typical first world country, which is you've got a car, you're paying for insurance for that car. You've got other types of insurance. You're paying a specific amount of rent that's due each month. Um, you've got all these bills, so living on the road is very different because we didn't have all of those things. Honestly, we just had like our phone bill, which was great. T-Mobile. I literally had unlimited data everywhere I went. So that was great, um, <laughs> which is only available, unfortunately, to the U.S. So um, that was really great. And just like 
we, I kind of set it up. I'm kind of an organization nerd. And so I really set up everything to where I knew that we would be okay financially. Um, and I also had personal savings from, you know, my parents and stuff because we didn't end up using some of it for college. So I had a little bit of a rock, you know, to sit on. So, that was how we made the decision to, to be able to go in and do that. And then we just kept up the revenue as we were traveling. So honestly, to go along with like the reality, right, of the traveling lifestyle, we, because our business still was so new though, and then we started another business um, in November. So just a few months after we had been traveling, we were seriously working like 90% of our days. We weren't really going out and doing like fun stuff. We did maybe a couple weekend trips and, you know, fun activities like midday or something or at the end of the day, go to a street market or something. But other than that, it was very much so work, work, work. So that was like the experience that we had in all these countries was like the actual work lifestyle that they have there as opposed to the like vacation shielded away in a resort, you know, type of experience. And then your second question, please remind me what it was. <laughs> yeah. No, life, um, okay. So it was the lifestyle. You said that, you know, you realize what lifestyle you actually want. What was that lifestyle? Yeah. For me, I think it's exactly what I've transitioned into now, um, which is I'm living in an apartment in San Diego right now in downtown. I'm on like the 15th floor of a 40 floor building. Um, and there's some great amenities. I have two cats now, um, (laughs) that I got a few weeks ago. Yeah. And a great community of entrepreneurs and creatives here. I'm by the beach. Um, but I also sell the city vibe since I am in a downtown area and I'm really close to a lot of great spots, like obviously LA, San Francisco, Vegas, Mexico. So I think this is really the ideal lifestyle for me is to have a very stable home life and community and financials and then be able to do these short intentional trips where I'm going and speaking at an event overseas or going for a fun trip with friends or a mastermind or something, right? And then can really spend time like cultivating relationships and experiencing stuff as opposed to worrying about work during those trips. And then coming back here and having my routine, having my home, you know, and say, okay, now I'm ready to, you know, get back to work and focus. So that's really the lifestyle. And then, I mean, of course I have like big dreams and aspirations, obviously to have all these great things and be able to have a lot of money to help people and live in a great home and have farmland and like all these things, right. That I think would be really cool. But right now this is perfect for me, I think, um, for the next few years to just have this stable environment and then be able to use what I've created as results from the stable environment to go and have like a great time on my trips. I think it's just phenomenal that you've been able to create the lifestyle you literally envisioned at such a young age. I just want to commend you on it. I think it gives all of us the courage, you know, to actually, and, and kind of, it shows us that it's possible, which, you know, which is just so awesome. For sure. Great. Yeah. 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 On that note, um, just something that I thought of as you asked me, you know, how did my environment impact me? I think, when I grew up, obviously there wasn't like Instagram and stuff. And so you couldn't see like the lifestyles that other people really had. You didn't have access to envisioning that. So if you grew up in a slum is a little bit exaggerated, but at the same time, you know, a lot of people are from impoverished areas. If you grew up in that area, you probably never saw someone who owned a Lamborghini or lived in a nice home or, you know, had a great business or went to Disneyland in the middle of the workday. Right. Um, and so 
I think I had access to that early on and that was helpful for me. But nowadays everyone really does. Like you can go on Instagram or YouTube and see how other people are living and be inspired by that and realize that that's possible because so many people share their stories now online, just how we are right now. So there's definitely so much access to that. Whereas when we grew up, you know, people didn't really have access to that, but now it's so much easier to you know, find inspiration online and see like what's actually possible if you focus, right. And find something that you're passionate about. Love it. Love it. Okay, great. So I want to jump into the school. So you said that in November, um, you you started this other business and I'm guessing it was the school of bots. So I just want to read out a couple of stats for a second, because when I was looking into this, I was just overwhelmed by the progression. So you say on your LinkedIn that School of Bots, um, so it's a leading chapter education brand, yep. and you're teaching over 2,500 people in 30 countries, more than 30 countries around the world. That is phenomenal. It's been 10 months um, since you started. How yeah. so many questions come from this. You know, how did you, I guess, firstly, start it? What what triggered you to start it? And then secondly, how did that progression happen so quickly? Yeah. So for us, um, my co-founder from my agency, Kyle, and I um, started SchoolBots together as well. And our motivation to start it had really come months before. um, But then that in November, December was when we like okay, this is actually a reality for us. Um, And it really came from a partnership opportunity with one of the biggest platforms and influencers in the chatbot world, or rather the Facebook Messenger bot world called ChatFuel. And this is a platform that is similar to, I'd say like Squarespace or Wix for making websites, you know, um, Salesforce for a CRM, like all these different platforms that exist, right? You can do this without coding. So that's what that platform enabled. And so they reached out to us. We were kind of chatting and realized we wanted to do something to help further education. Because quite frankly, even now, when you go online and look up chatbots, there's still not a whole lot that you can find. Um, if you want to get into it, there is now more like, you know, there are more medium articles, YouTube videos, Facebook groups, but the problem is that a lot of the information is outdated. And so we try to put out as much content as we can, but there's only so much we can do. So we're now starting to partner with a lot more people, um, and are pushing that mission forward. But that was really where the motivation came from was one, no one was really teaching, um, how to start a business in this space, as well as how to actually cultivate the skill of creating chatbots that brought results for clients or, you know, for your own business in general. And just the fact that I also quite frankly, wanted to have that experience of like a online education, like courses brand. Um, because all of my friends who were the digital nomads that I mentioned before, who had introduced me to the four hour work week and done all of that, they all had these fantastic brands of, you know, they were teaching people how to build their brands online or teaching a language or digital marketing. And they had had so much success with it. Um, and actually a lot of them live in San Diego, funny enough, how I ended up here. So, um, and so I had always thought, you know, I would love to manage a community or like teach people about something that I know just a little bit more about than they do. And that opportunity had never come until chatbots at that point. So those were the two motivations um, for starting that. And in terms of the growth, 
honestly, it all like 90% of it happened organically. We only spent a thousand dollars on like Facebook advertising, um, in 2018. And so that honestly though, there was like not a whole lot of ROI on that. That was more of just like omnipresence content type of stuff. So, for us, what ended up happening was so many people from different countries were looking for bot content at the end of 2017. And even now, like more and more, right? More people are trying to find out about it. It's kind of like the whole rush that people had when like Facebook ads became popular and everyone was like, create a Facebook ads agency. Like the same thing's kind of happening with bots now where people are realizing that this is actually a service that can help clients. And it's not just like a, a fad or something. So because of that, I think that's where that organic growth really came from is people were out they're looking for content and we delivered so much content that we got a lot of people into our Facebook group, um, which is honestly the best way I think right now to engage an audience and started growing all our other channels. And so now we're doing a lot more of it, like taking it more seriously because before it was like, okay, you know, it's kind of taking off people like what we're doing, but I didn't put enough like strategy and effort into it. And now actually, um, starting in the next week, we'll really be pushing hard on like different video series we're doing and, and all sorts of these different things to really attract actually more of an audience I would like to do in the U.S. because we have so many international people um, that I think it'll just be easier for us because one, obviously, I think we can just relate to U.S. audiences more since we're based in the U.S. Um, and also in terms of doing live events and things like that, it's kind of hard to gather people from so many different countries um, in one spot. So so that's going to be our focus. But yeah, it just really happened organically and just from the fact that chatbots were blowing up and like all the big digital marketing people and developer people were talking about them. And so people were just naturally going and trying to find more content about them. Mm. Love it. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, for some of our peers out there listening, you know, who, who maybe, maybe they have this passion of wanting to start a business or start something, do something different. And, you know, they're trying to figure out what that trending thing is. You know, they're trying to identify what, what you guys did, you know, the bots are trending and now we're going to jump on it. What would be like some of some advice that you would give to them in terms of figuring that out and actually deciding what to focus their business on or their idea on? Yeah. One of the things um, actually that I've been hearing a lot recently and that I was able to do as well is that people are always talking about, you know, I have this all these different passions. Um, and I feel like I just have to choose one and create a business around that or create a business around something that's trending or whatever, which are great business opportunities. Um, there's a lot of money in that, but there's also a lot of money in figuring out how to combine your passions and then creating a great business out of that. So I'd say one, figure out what you're good at, what your strengths are, for example, interviewing people or creating online videos or memes even, you know, or creating great content on how to do your makeup or how to do whatever, right? Um, and then building a community around that and seeing if you can get people interested. I think that's really the best way to do it these days is choose one place where that audience lives, where you can combine your passions and then try to grow a community around that. Because that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned was that in order to grow my business, if you want to grow a content business, for example, um, and really almost anything other than something where you're working very directly with specific businesses is for you to have an audience and then be able to 
deliver whatever that audience wants. Um, that was probably like my number one mistake was like, why is no one buying our stuff? And like, we had no one, you know, in, on any of our lists or our channels. So that was the biggest thing. So I think for someone who's trying to figure out what they want to do is like, figure out what strengths you have and what passions you have and combine that. Look at what other people are doing online. There's so many different options. Like I know people who have podcasts who have made millions of dollars from their podcasts. You know, I know people who like teach the most random things in like live workshops um, in person and online and make a lot of money through that. There's a lot of like enterprise and B2B solutions. You can get paid to speak places. Um, There's all these different opportunities. So I think it's easy nowadays to pick your strengths, pick a few of your passions that you'd like to combine that are most important to you or that are most relevant um, right now, especially online and your platform, whatever that is, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, email, Quora, LinkedIn, podcasting, um, all of those, and then just go for it and see if it naturally takes off because there's not really a way to fail anymore. Um, People like congratulate that. Right. It's so funny. Like you'll go on LinkedIn and it says like founder of this company, like failed after eight months in the description or something. Right. And like people still put down their resume. So I think people like the fact that they can see how your journey has progressed. And so it doesn't really matter if you fail or not, because that will lead you to more opportunity and also be Mm -hmm. more experienced for your Mm -hmm. life resume. Right. As you like to call it. So I think that would be my three step kind of checklist or process in terms of what people should try to do when they're figuring out what do I actually want to pursue or do. So many hidden gems there. I love it. Okay, great. So I just want to touch on one more thing before we, we, we come to a close here. So I, yeah, you, you've said, you know, you wrote on your LinkedIn, I found this fascinating that, you know, so obviously we're painting a picture forever and you're now living the lifestyle you actually want to live. You're, you've founded this business that, you know, is, going viral (laughs) um, and, you know, not without a lot of hard work, not without a lot of diligence and focus, which is so great to see. But something I love that you wrote on your LinkedIn was, and you just touched on it then, my life resume. And you said that my plans for world domination include starting a record label, speaking seven languages, creating cool fellowships with college dropouts, lots of angel impact investing, helping run the Olympics, climbing Mount Everest and owning awesome stuff across the world. Talk to us a bit about that. Yeah, for me. So I think in, or when I was probably 16 or 15, I honestly don't know. I could probably find out on Apple actually, um, is I created a phone note on my iPhone and I called it the billionaire phone or what I call it, the billionaire plan or something like that. Actually, I can bring it up. What exactly is it called? Yeah. The billionaire plan. So Obviously, being a billionaire, who the hell knows what's going to happen? But nonetheless, what I ended up doing with that was creating what I've now realized a lot of entrepreneurs recommend all new entrepreneurs do, which is figure out rules that you want to live by and core principles. And so for me, I did that. I kind of put together anytime something interesting would come across like an internet page I was reading or a book or I was talking to someone, I would write that into the plan. And then on top of that, I wrote down, okay, what are my biggest accomplishments to date? And what do I want to actually do with life? And again, like I said, I was kind of naive, right? In terms of like what's possible. So I was writing down all these things. um, 
And then when I started doing college applications, this was also a really helpful time. Even though I ended up leaving college, I think the college application process, if you take it seriously, is like the best thing you could ever do for yourself in that moment of life because I uncovered so much about myself. Like I was writing an essay about myself every day for scholarships and colleges. And so very quickly I was like, Oh wow. Okay. I actually want to do this. And like became even more confident kind of, again, those boosts of confidence, right. Um, in terms of what I wanted to do, who I was, you know, what I was passionate about, et cetera, et cetera. So that also helped me add to the plan and, I don't know. It just all kind of came together where I realized, you know, I'm very multi-passionate. There's a lot I want to do. And if I can create just one business that does well, then I can reach all these other tiers of things I want to do. So live like an ideal day, you know, go on these crazy retreats and have awesome experiences, um, you know, as well as eventually do some really awesome athletic stuff like climb Mount Everest or whatever I end up doing. Right. Um, and I think that being able to invest and own and build businesses will really help me get there. So that's kind of how that came about. I put together that list of things that I wanted to do for world domination, um, for what I was passionate about and creating that whole life resume thing. Um, and that's really how that came about. And actually side note, someone that I really follow is Jesse Itzler. Mm -hmm. He is married to Sarah Blakely, who created Spanx, which is a billion dollar company and they are such a great couple, but Jesse is very spontaneous and he always talks about living his or creating his life resume. He's also like almost a billionaire um, with everything that he's done. So his stuff really inspired me. And so I love that phrase, like life resume, right? Think about like what actually matters to you as opposed to like, oh, what did you do at your last job? Right. But more of like, what are you doing with your time in general? And like, who are you as opposed to what are you? So that's where that came about. Love it. This is so many great takeaways. I absolutely love this conversation. Oh, thank um, you. This has oh been so goodness, fun. I love it. So, you know, as we start to wrap up, um, look, Natasha, I firstly just want to acknowledge you and the phenomenal work you're doing and you've done. Your journey, the story is amazing. I'm not too sure if that, you know, reflecting on all of that here today has, has helped you in any way. I hope it has. It's definitely benefited us. Yeah. Um, and look, I just think it's that, that, not stopping until you actually create the life you want till you actually pursue your passion which is a lot of stuff that we talk about here on the peers projects so we really appreciate you yeah. um and we thank you so much for that Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to also share this with um, some millennials and people I know and people have reached out to me as well um, because I think your show will be really helpful for them because after I published that letter right to my parents. I had so many people from high school and like just college students and stuff who follow me who were like, so what should I do? Or like, what classes should I take? Or where should I intern? Right. And so I think just kind of listening to the answers and questions that we talked about today will be really helpful for them. So I'm excited to share this with people. Love it. Love it. Great. So our final question here is how we finish all of our interviews here at the Peers Project. And that is... Okay. What is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The value is happiness without satisfaction, with fulfillment, I think. That came out kind of rough, but pretty much what that means is that you're really happy and fulfilled by everything you do each day. You know, thinking about what are you passionate about and then looking at your past week and realizing that you have done all those things you're passionate about 
throughout that entire week, I think is the biggest win that you can have. And without satisfaction really means that you are always hungry for more, whether that means always hungry to help more people or to make a bigger impact or to build something bigger than yourself. You know, there's always that hunger there um, that's aligned at the same time with what you're passionate about. So I think that's really what the biggest value is having that happiness and fulfillment, but still having that hunger and fire inside of you that keeps you going every day. Because if you don't have that hunger, then your happiness and fulfillment doesn't really exist. You're a little bit unsatisfied with where you are, you know, whatever that is. So getting to a schedule and lifestyle that you are actually happy and passionate about will then lead you to have that consistent fire to do more. Love it. Well, thanks so much, Natasha. Thank you. And where can people learn more about you and your work? Yeah. So for me, I'd say connecting with me on Facebook would probably be best if you look up Natasha Takahashi. Um, and I can give you that link if you want to share that with them, just because that's where I'm most active right now. And I post a lot about entrepreneurship and bots and, you know, all sorts of different things. So that's where people can follow me. Uh, And then if you want to learn more about bots or just curious in general about what the heck they are and how they work. um, And if you're looking into digital marketing and stuff, you definitely want to know about them. So the best place to go would be our website, schoolofbots.co. Love it. This has been awesome. And for everyone else listening we will end with that peers that's a wrap thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the peers to peers podcast we hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do which is our way of saying inspirational for more make sure to subscribe to our show on itunes spotify or any app where podcasts are played, and leave us a review. We produce with passion, and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers.